Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Two-part series. want to begin it this morning and move with it tonight. This morning I'm going to be speaking on the deeds of the flesh and this evening on the fruits of the Spirit. The deeds of the flesh this morning from Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 21 and then we this evening will continue verses 22 through 26 dealing with the fruits of the Spirit. I hope you'll come back tonight to not only hear the BYF and what they're going to do, but but I think you will need to hear the conclusion tonight of this sermon that I'm beginning to preach this morning. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Our Father, we look now at your word to determine its relationship to our lives and what we ought to be. Would your spirit be in our midst if there is any person in this congregation who is not a Christian this morning? We pray that there might be something done or said as a part of this service that would bring some soul to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. You know, that's pretty strong language I just read. You can't get much stronger. He makes it very emphatic. And he says, I tell you before, I've told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. What are you going to do with that? How are we going to get into heaven? I don't think that there is a single individual in this congregation this morning but what has violated at least one of those words. Now we can find similar words in other portions of the scripture. I would like for you to go with me to three other places. First of all, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You'll just turn back with me. Just a few pages back from there in Galatians. This is Paul speaking again. Verses 9 and following. He says here, Know ye not that unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, that means homosexual, by the way, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, 
nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, notice the addition to this particular passage of Scripture. Paul gives almost an identical listing of those things that if people do will not get into the kingdom of heaven. And then he concludes, some of you used to be that, but you're not any longer. Notice that addition? You once were, but you no longer are. So, we have now seen the opening up of the fact the, the boldness of Paul has not changed. No homosexual, no idolater, no uh, adulterer, no drunkard, and on and on he goes, but he also adds such words as no jealousy, no envying, no strife. You see, I can get along, and you can get along pretty good maybe on some of those harsh words, but when they get down to some of the others, we begin to discover that we're caught in the same frame. And so a person who envies is stated will not get into the kingdom of God, just like the person who has been caught in adultery or who worships idols. And so we have a, a big question here. Who's going to heaven? All right, let's go further. Matthew. Now we're going to see what the Lord has to say. Matthew chapter 7. Beginning at verse 16. As soon as I find Matthew, I turn to Luke. That old word. Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. We're in the middle of Jesus speaking. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? So every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, and wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. Now let's don't conclude there. Let's go to Mark. This is my last one. But I think we see, need to see all of these before I start making too many comments. Mark chapter 7. We'll read verses 14 through 16 first. And when he had called the people unto him, he said unto them, this is Jesus speaking now, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing from without a man that enters into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him, they are they that defile the man. If a man have ears, let him hear. All right, go over to 
verse 20. He said, That which cometh out of a man, that defileth the man, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile the man. What makes a man defiled? Not what goes into him, but what comes out of him. What are the fruits that we can see in a person's life? That which comes out from his life. A person is what he reveals himself to be from internal. One whose life is such, who lives this way, who produces this kind of fruit or this kind of life. There are two concepts about life. One concept that many people has is that man is basically good. I spoke to a lady one time about her need of becoming a Christian. In my statement to her, I commented that she needed to ask God to forgive her sins. Her response to me was, I haven't done anything so bad that I need to ask forgiveness for. What she really was saying is, I am basically good. And God will have to accept me because of my goodness. So there's no reason for me to come and before the Lord or come to the church and, and say I'm sorry for my sins because I haven't committed any. Now, you don't have to go down the street very far until you discover that people believe this. There is no need of the church because we're good just automatically. Our nature is good. So Anne says, and this foolishness that the church talks about of needing to ask forgiveness for sin is nonsense, so they say. Well, what does the Bible say about man's nature? What does the Lord say? Well, you don't have to study also very long until you discover that the Bible talks about man being basically evil. Not good, but evil. Begun back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate of the fruit of the tree and they became sinners and therefore we are sinners. Man is a sinner and is lost, he is corrupt, he is immoral, he is ungodly in his nature. Born that way, we know that like produces like. We know that apples grow on apple trees. 
We know that what comes out of our life really reveals what we are. And where is there in your life or mine that we can boldly say, what I have produced in my life is basically good, and God, you're going to have to accept me because of it. He'll turn and say, I hate, I despise all of that. It makes me vomit. Our morality, our goodness in the sight of God is worthless. See, the problem that we have is when we start comparing our morality and our goodness is that we find somebody else that is less moral and less good so that we look good. I'll guarantee you, when I played football, I did not refer to the outstanding star and compare myself to him. I referred myself to the guy who never got in the game. And I was pretty good. We are basically evil, corrupt, polluted. I deal with environmental pollution all the time. People say that I'm sick because of my environment. And sometimes that's, that's true. We can become ill as a result of our environment. <laughs> But the real thing they're saying to me is, my neighbor has made me sick. And I want you to do something with my neighbor so that he won't make me sick. When the real problem is not what is in the heart of the neighbor, it's what's in the heart of me. Because it's out of me that filthiness comes not as a result of what my neighbor has done. I do not at all buy the concept that our society is going to the dogs because parents are responsible or the school is responsible or the church is responsible or uh, whatever. I believe that every man, stand and woman, stands on their own feet and is answerable to God in their own right. And I'm not going to be able to stand before God and saying, I'm going to hell because my neighbor corrupted me. Or the school didn't teach me. Or the church didn't explain it to me right. We're going to stand before God and answer for our own ungodliness and evil that comes out of us. And the Lord God put Jesus, his own son on the cross, to make it possible for this corruptness to be cleaned up. Our environment, which is our heart, can be cleaned up by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying... Please don't misunderstand me. I do believe that parents are responsible for training their children the way they ought to go. And that many kids go astray because of what the, what the parents do or don't do. I think the school has responsibility and I think the church has responsibility. But listen, I am not going 
to go so far as to say the fault of the guy who was in Moundsville was his community. The fault of the guy in Moundsville was his own corrupt heart. Although the community and the school and the church and the family all have their interrelationships, nevertheless, that individual is corrupt because of his own desire to be that way. Well, see, you can take a person out of the, well, let me say it this way, an old statement that I've known for many years, you can take a boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. You believe that, don't you? I do. I grew up in the country, and I'll always be a country boy, even when I lived in Charleston. So that to make this point. I have seen people taken out of the ghetto and put in brand new housing only to see that housing return to the ghetto. I was in one of those projects just a few weeks ago when this fella came up to me who lived in the housing provided by the government and asked me for a quarter to buy a cup of coffee, and I said no. You think I was harsh? You think I was unkind to say no? There comes a time when a person must be responsible for himself. He was not going to buy a cup of coffee to start with. He was going to add that to his collection until he had enough to buy a can of beer. And I'm not about to buy his beer. If he had gone down to the restaurant with me, I'd have bought his coffee. We can do all the education we want. We can provide all the jobs we want. We can provide increased income and good medical care, but until the root problem of man has been resolved, we will still have the ghetto of the heart. Man is corrupt from within, and therefore he produces corruptness. And it is this that Paul is talking about and that Jesus talked about, and Paul divides these into three groups that I want to speak about a little bit. He talks about certain groups that will not get into heaven whose lives are such and such. He, he divides it into sex, into idolatry, and into human relationships. Now, those are the three groups that we will find here. He talks about immorality. The word immorality in Greek is pornea, from which we get the word uh, pornographic. We live in an immoral society. It has not escaped your life nor mine. One of the problems that I have with sex education in the school system is that it almost has to be taught in a sterile situation whereby the teacher is not supposed to teach any moral values as to whether it's right or wrong. I believe strongly that no sex education can properly do its job until it has been strongly tied to moral values. And some of the problems that I have seen is that some of the people teaching sex education don't have the moral values that I want my kid to be taught. 
but the church has not done its job when it comes to sex education. The family has not done its job when it comes to sex education. Most of us learned our sex education on the streets. Probably all of us, or nearly all of us, would have found it out that way. And so it's growing up in a society where nobody knows anything about a subject that we're all interested in. And the blind leads the blind as we learn from each other to do things that are totally wrong because nobody can give us some moral value. The church needs to be clear in its teaching of morality. And I don't believe it's done by passing out birth control materials in church as one church did some time ago. But we must be teaching the value of not how to do it and be safe, but when it's proper and, and uh, under the authority of God to participate in sexual matters. He goes on to talk about impurity. The word impurity is a medical term. It means an oozing wound. And he says that man has an impure heart. I've conducted a lot of weddings over the years. I never cease to wonder in my own mind as I see a beautiful young girl walk down an aisle in a beautiful white dress, if indeed she is as pure as she's pretending to be. And I wonder as a man stands there in all his finery, he stands representing the same thing. And as they begin to make their vows to God and saying, we promise to be faithful to each other if their fingers aren't already crossed. To mean, I really don't mean this. It's just something that I've got to say in order to get my license so that we can live together. And I think this is the wrong approach to take to the beginning of a family and the, the marriage of, of a young man and a young woman. It ought to mean something more than this. We're living in a stage of impurity when the large proportion of teenagers graduate from high school already having experienced those things that we say are supposed to be reserved for a married life. And there's no reason for us to think that we who sit here this morning as Christian people in this church are pure as the driven snow any more than any other group of people. Because we have, as well, shared in and participated in those things that would be considered oozing wounds. In our society. And he talks about sensuality. Sensuality means uninhibited indulgence without shame. You talk about a world that doesn't care what it does, that's where we are. When homosexuals will walk the streets and carry their banners and advertise that that's what they are, I'm proud of it. We have sunk to the depths of Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember that as Lot took those angels into his home, 
and protected them. And the men of the city came knocking at the door and tried to break it down and said, bring those men out that we might know them. They weren't saying, bring them out that, you, that we might be introduced to them. They were talking about homosexuality. And the scripture makes it plain, I believe, that no homosexual will be in heaven. You can talk about the mixing up of the genes all you want to. And saying that men really should have been women, but it got all mixed up somewhere in the birth process. Or women ought to have been men. I don't buy that whatever. I call that sin. That's all it is. And we cannot excuse it by calling it something else. I don't think there is such a thing as gay rights. No more than there is such a thing as drunken rights. Or any other kind of rights that gives us the opportunity to say it's sin and we've got a right to do it. But that's the society that we're living in. We as a church are going to have to say something about it. All right, he goes on to a second group. He talks about idolatry and sorcery. I'll hurry over this because the time's gone. The group of people in this world of ours that is growing in numbers is not the Christian faith. The group that's growing is satanic worshipers and pagan worshipers. We have them in West Virginia and all across our country. But the real issue that I think we need to be aware of is in the word sorcery. The word sorcery in Greek is pharmakia, from which we get the word pharmacy. And what the word pharmakia means is mind-altering drugs. I don't know if any of you have ever experimented in drugs or not. But I would, would expect that in a congregation of, say, 80 people this morning, that there would at least be one or two people who have somehow or other experimented. And you teenagers, listen, if you start experimenting with those things called drugs, I don't care whatever, uh, whatever name might be applied to them, you're talking about abusing your mind to the place that you cannot be rational. And God has placed the word sin written all the way across that type thing. And it's anti to God and to the Bible and to the teachings of the church. We need to run, I mean run, from this problem. Don't even talk to a person who wants to offer you some kind of drug. If you are not strong enough to tell him to his face, no, turn and get away. And do it quickly, for he's talking about dragging you to the pits of hell. Because this is Satan's way of doing things. That's what they were attempting to do in the days that Paul was writing. Was alter the mind with drugs so that someone was brought under the control of Satan. Thirdly, he lists group called that I'm putting under human relations. Well, you say, I, I don't do any of this drug business and satanic worship, and I'm fairly good probably as far as all those things about sex you've been talking about, 
But he lists a whole bunch of other things here that he puts in the same category. He says jealousy. He says outbursts of anger. He says strife, envy, drunkenness, carousing. Man, how are we going to get away from it? Well, I've never been drunk in my life. I'm not sure what it would be like. So I can get over that one, but the rest of them I probably have some trouble with. Jealousy. Is there a person in this congregation who's never been jealous? Outbursts of anger never mean, no sir. <laughs> My wife does, but not me. He says, those who do these things will not enter the kingdom of God. Now, brother, how are you going to get there? Well, let me read some translations. Living Bible puts it this way. Anyone living that sort of life. I notice some changes a bit that will help us. King James says, they which do such things. The New American Standard says, those who practice such things. The J.B. Phillips translation says, those who indulge in such things. So, putting all of this together, the four places that we read, and particularly what Jesus said to us, and uh, about it, coming out of the heart, producing something, whatever one's life produces, that what is what one is. He is not at all talking about that time or event that we casually or accidentally or even on purpose conduct ourselves in a manner unacceptable that we commit one of these sins, whether it is sexual, whether it is drugs, whether it is drunkenness, whether it is jealousy, whether it's outbursts of anger, put them all in the same category. He's talking about any of us who might uh, commit one of these. He's not talking about us as losing our salvation because we suddenly fell off of the uh, wagon, so to speak, as we talk about people who, who are alcoholics. He is talking about a person who produces this kind of life from his heart this is what he is. A homosexual will stand up and say, that's what I am. Let me tell you, when a homosexual stands up and says, I am a homosexual, he's saying, I'm going to hell. When a prostitute stands up and says, I am a prostitute, they're saying, I am not a Christian. There cannot be a Christian prostitute. Paul said, you once were these things, but you no longer are. Listen, you might have been drunk and been a drunkard all your life, and the Lord God can reach down and save your soul. I don't buy that drunkenness is a disease. I tell you, it is sin. But a person can be saved from that and any other sin that possibly one might have. And we'll be saved out of it. Maybe we once were, but we no longer are. But listen. Also, a person who cannot control his mind to the point of keeping himself under control is as in much jeopardy of this same accusation as a person who is a prostitute or an alcoholic. 
Now it's not so easy to take now, is it? Because we're all here. If this is our life, I say to you, if you are one who cannot control, cannot control, cannot control yourself, you need to question your Christianity. Under whatever category you may want to put it. That does not say that we will not commit those things. I'm saying that this is not our way of living. What kind of life are you producing? Is this what habitually comes out? You all think that that person who always wants to spoil for a fight can be a Christian. Because the Spirit of God will be in his heart to tame him down and to control him. And I'll tell you, there will be no drug pusher in, hell, in heaven. All drug pushers will be in hell. Maybe they once were one and can be saved, but if they are saved, they'll never push another drug. And if they're pushing drugs, they're not saved. But if your life is of jealousy, better get your act together. If you're envious and you are uncontrolled and you're envious, then out of you is coming envy all the time, all the time, all the time. There can't be the Spirit of God inside and a continual life of envy coming out. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That which a person is will come out. Whatever it might be. By their fruits, we shall know them. What do we produce? Jesus said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's always been misinterpreted to mean you never know if you're going to be saved. You're going to have to work it out. And if you get it worked out, you'll be saved someday. It really ought to read this way. Work at your salvation with fear and trembling. Brother, it's not an easy thing. We've got to work at it every day. Because these old things keep coming up. We used to be jealous and we have a trouble getting our jealousy under control. We used to be uh, angry all the time and we have trouble getting our anger under control. Work at your salvation. Fear and truth. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.